Yes, so good morning. All right, let me start today uh, with a true story. In the mid-19th century, a young Belgian man named Joseph de Wester, 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 I don't know, Joseph, Uh, he was ordained, uh, and he took the name Damien, changed his name to Damien, and uh, in his ministry, uh, he was serving, but he yearned for something greater than the modest duties that he had started with, and he actually felt and sensed a deep and profound calling to spread the love of Christ and to tend to the most marginalized people in society. And a door actually opened when he was invited to do missionary work in the Kingdom of Hawaii, which was what it was called at the time, the Kingdom of Hawaii. It's a real thing. It's not made up. It used to be called that. And uh, which doing ministry in Hawaii sounds good. Uh, But life in the distant Hawaiian islands was a sharp contrast to the comforts of Belgium. The exotic beauty was often eclipsed by the destitution and suffering experienced by the natives who were unfortunately ravaged with disease. Among the most dreaded was leprosy, a disfiguring, contagious illness that the local authorities struggled to contain. And in desperation, they forcibly exiled all sufferers to a remote peninsula on the island of Molokai. I think that's how you say that. Molokai, does that sound right? Molokai? Does anyone know? Phone a friend. Molokai, we'll go with Molokai. All right. Arriving on Molokai, Damien witnessed an appalling sight. Thousands of lepers were sent there to die, abandoned by the world, living in squalor and hopelessness. They had been cast away by society, neglected and forgotten. Despite the dangerous contagion, Damien was overwhelmed by the enormity of the despair and suffering. Even with that, he decided to make the leper colony his new home, turning his back on the safety and comfort of his previous life. Against the towering cliffs and surrounded by the relentless pounding of the ocean, Damien toiled to bring hope where none had dared before. The work was grueling, physically and emotionally, He constructed shelters, treated wounds, built coffins, dug graves. He taught, counseled, and comforted, becoming a beacon of hope in a sea of despair. But the obstacles were immense, and the disease was relentless, claiming more lives every day. And resources were scarce. The wider community, fearing contagion, kept a distance making Damien's mission even lonelier. Just as Damien thought his mission could not become more challenging, he noticed something alarming, white spots on his skin, a telltale sign of leprosy. The realization hit him like a sledgehammer. He too had contracted the dreaded disease. Fear and despair washed over him threatening to engulf him. Was this the end? Would he become just another forgotten soul on Molokai, destined to succumb to the merciless disease? Let me pause the story there and return to it at the end of the sermon. It relates to our passage today. 
So we continue in our Real Jesus uh, series, The Real Jesus, going through the Gospel of Mark. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. It'll be on the screen. We have free Bibles in the pews. Take it and keep it if you don't have a Bible. And the purpose of this series is that we recognize, as Christians, we recognize and we believe that Jesus, He's the one that can truly set us free. He's the one that can satisfy our hearts and heal our pain. And so we've got to know the true Jesus, and that's the Jesus in the pages of Scripture, not the Jesus of our imagination or the Jesus of popular culture or the Jesus of other people's opinions or other people's interpretations, but the Jesus that his friends wanted to tell us about, that people like Mark, the gospel writer, wanted to tell us about. So let's pray, and then let's read here. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word, that we know of your life and ministry, and we pray today that you would help us to know the God of the universe revealed through your human life, the God-man, Jesus the God-man, come to live the perfect life and die in our place. Help us to know you. Help us to be found in you, to gain our identity from you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 40. And it says, A leper came to him, this is to Jesus, a leper came to him imploring him, And kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter." This is God's word. So Mark jumps straight to this encounter between Jesus and this leper. Leprosy, of course, was very widespread uh, during the first century, but honestly, it had been a problem for a very long time. Um, When scribes studying the Old Testament made a list, they actually identified about 72 different kinds of uh, skin diseases in the book of Leviticus. Uh, that's the book of Leviticus is probably the hardest book in the Old Testament. If you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to make it through. I'm just going to learn it all. And, and Leviticus is usually the stumbling block. People get there and they're like, I just don't know. Leprosy on the walls, leprosy on the clothes, leprosy on the skin. What's going on? Uh, we're very confused about it. So it's been a problem for a long time. And they, these, these 72 different skin diseases, they put them kind of under the umbrella term of leprosy. And uh, there were other skin diseases too, like boils, talks about that you know, in the Old Testament too. But leprosy was the big one, was the real doozy. And it was hard to diagnose because there were different skin diseases. Um, but if, you, were, if it came, you came to realize you had leprosy, um, there was no cure for it. It was a lifelong condition. And to be a leper was to be an outcast. To be a leper was to be an outcast. People lived in constant dread of its contagion. 
If you were infected, it was more than just having an illness, it was a life sentence. And in order to protect the community, you were ostracized from the community. You had to live alone, or perhaps with people who were not your family. So not only did you lose your health, but you pretty much lost everything else as well. Lepers were dependent on the charity and the help of others, because of course they couldn't work. Lepers can't work. Lepers had to intentionally make their appearance as repugnant as possible. This is the teaching uh, in Scripture. They had to make their hair crazy, and they had to make their clothes uh, torn. And this was to, uh, a visible sign so that when people would see them, to indicate to people, stay away. I'm a leper. Stay away from me. Kind of maybe similar to Cubs and Sox fans seeing each other. They have to keep their distance, keep away from each other. According to Scripture, though, lepers were supposed to stand 50 paces away from another person. At least 50 paces. So to, tr- to try to understand this, in our context, we might think of outcasts in our society. We might think of different people or groups who have to live on the edges of society to try to capture what's happening here in this moment with Jesus. And we might think about our personal feelings towards certain people who have to live on the edges of society. Uh, We might think of those with very serious mental disabilities. Maybe that's a group that comes to mind for some of us. Might be other groups. And no no matter what culture we live in, there's always going to be certain groups who have to live outside of the community. Sometimes that's for wrong reasons. Sometimes that's based on prejudice. That's just people are afraid of things they don't understand and people who are different. That can be the reason. But sometimes like this, it's actually, it's a health issue. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing. And some cultures, of course, can be more understanding regarding those, those groups. Some cultures more compassionate, others less. But we have to understand that some people, for various legitimate reasons, they just won't be able to function. They won't be able to live in society with everybody else. And so the question that we will always face as individuals is, what will our attitude be to those outcasts? Will they receive our charity and our help? How will we view them? Not only is there of course, a huge health concern here with this leper in terms of being exposed to a contagion, but there's uh, a spiritual concern too. Ancient Israel was governed by very clear cleansing regulations, and this was part of their society at large. They had categories of clean and unclean, clean and unclean. And these are kind of ritual categories or religious categories. And that means if you became unclean, you were excluded from everything else in society. Until you could go through a process of being proven that you could be clean again, then you could be reintroduced to the the community. And if you became unclean, you couldn't participate, not even in the spiritual life of the nation, not just the communal life, but the spiritual life. So if you, for example, if you touched a dead body, if you lived in ancient Israel, you were a Jew in ancient Israel, if you touched a dead body, unclean. If you were a woman 
on her cycle, unclean. You couldn't eat badgers. Badgers were considered unclean. Okay, pigs, unclean. Many animals. In fact, the big part of this clean and unclean categories is to do with food. It's to do with what you eat. Some animals for different reasons, hey, they're just not clean to eat. So diet is a big part of this, but there are other things as well that can make you unclean. Now, it's hard for us to understand these clean and unclean regulations. We just don't live with this. This is just not part of our thinking. So sometimes people were confused. We try to read the Old Testament, try to read the Bible, and we're just, I don't get it, don't understand what's happening. Even, even reading this story of Jesus meeting this leper, we're like, yeah, Jesus meets a sick person. Like, what's the big deal? We don't, we don't understand what's behind it all. Let me give three reasons why ancient Israel had these clean and unclean standards, these categories, and these cleansing regulations. So the first one, as I've already mentioned, is health. That is a reason, is for health. Now, of course, they wouldn't have understood microorganisms, right? They didn't have microscopes and petri dishes. But uh, God, in his wisdom, revealed to them practices to prevent and to contain the spread of sickness. And this is not really the biggest reason or the main reason, but it's certainly an observable positive outcome that God cared about the health of the nation, and so he regulates their diet, Hey, here's, here are some good things to eat. Here are some not good things to eat. He, he regulated their hygiene. Here's how you stay healthy and not be sick. He regulated their cleanliness in order to keep them healthy. They established quarantines and social tracing before there was COVID-19, of course. And they got established washing practices that helped to minimize the spread of, the, of disease. And they were actually quite advanced. For an ancient civilization, they were actually pretty advanced in these practices. They didn't know the science behind it, but God in his wisdom had given it to them to protect them. That's the first reason. The second reason that God gave these clean and unclean regulations is to highlight. And this is specifically to highlight the difference between Israel and other nations that often had evil practices. So these other nations, they were surrounded by worship false gods. They had evil practices, the worst of which was child sacrifice. And they had rituals and habits and customs that were associated with this false worship. And so a lot of the regulations and rules that ancient Israel had existed to contrast God's people from pagan nations that worshipped false gods and did evil things. And so by Israel having these clean and unclean practices, it was, a, it was highlighting how different, how unique the God of Israel is and God's children, the children of Israel, how unique, how different they are to all the other nations and that God is their God. It's not just, it's not just we're, we're, we've got our own God, it's we're doing the, the opposite of what you're doing. We've got these these categories that we follow. That was another reason. The third reason is for the reason of holiness. Holiness. So because God specifically said to follow the ritual cleansing regulations that he gave them in order to be holy, and he said, he said do, in Leviticus, it says, do this, be holy because I am holy. And so in saying it, that's, that's the reason is to be like God. Now, does keeping to dietary requirements or keeping your bodily fluids clean or regulating them in some way, does that make you spiritually holy? Does that, do those practices actually deal with the evil of your own heart? 
Okay, they, well, they don't. The answer is no, they actually don't. But that's not the point. The point was that these, these were given by God so that in following them, there was trust and obedience in God. And so it's an issue of actually following God's words and God's ways. And so we, we become right with God, or the people then became right with God because they were doing what God has said to do. So it's an issue of holiness. An issue of, it's, a, it's challenging a spiritual attitude. Will we follow God's, uh, they're not just recommendations, they're commands. Now ultimately, all of these clean and unclean regulations revolve around the idea of purity. This is what the idea is, of being pure. And of course, we need to be pure. We need to be purified. We get toxins, right? We, I mean, we understand that from a physical standpoint, that your body gets toxins in it. And sometimes people will go on, you know, they'll, they'll go on different, you know, they'll, they'll fast or just drink water or they'll go on some kind of juicing uh, toxin kind of situation kind of thing they're doing. But that's a, that's a physical illustration of something that spiritually is true for us too, that we, we build up spiritual toxins and we've got to be cleansed. And certainly our lives need to be morally pure, and that's ultimately the goal. But to be morally pure, we have to look at our conduct, how we treat other people. What's our behavior like? What are our attitudes? Are we willing to follow these regulations as it relates to protecting other people? Now, I suppose uh, when there is something externally disorderly in our lives, we have to ask, is there something internally out of order? That's always a sign as well. If there's something out of whack on the exterior of my life, oftentimes that can be a mirror, that can be a reflection, where there's something on the inside that's not quite right. So if I can't keep my body and my environment clean, what does that tell me about what's going on inside my mind and my own heart? Is it because I hate myself? I, I loathe myself so much I won't even take care of myself. I have no self-dignity or respect. Or Is it because I, I can't regulate the cleanliness on the outside of things, is it because I, I resent doing those things? I think I'm better than those things. There can be all kinds of different reasons, but oftentimes if there's disorderliness on the outside, it should be a mirror to us to say, what does that reveal about my attitude on the inside? And that's another reason of purification that we see coming through this. So the whole nation of Israel understood the practice of unclean and clean, these regulations. And this leper approaches Jesus. He doesn't just have a contagious disease, of course. He's ritualistically, according to these regulations, he's ritualistically and permanently unclean. He can't participate in the community. He can't go to Passover. He can't go to the synagogue. He can't even watch online. They don't even have the online option. Is really, I mean, praise God that if you can't make it a church, hey, you can tune in online. You can still, it's not the same. And don't use it as a replacement, a long-term replacement, but it can supplement. But in getting close to Jesus like this, he would have also been considered not just ritualistically unclean, but morally unclean for breaking the regulation. He shouldn't be breaking this regulation. And this act would have been highly provocative and highly offensive for Jews of Jesus' day. And this guy's desperation led him to it, right? All he wants is to be clean. Just wants to be clean, wants to be cured, wants to be back into the community. 
And he's kneeling before Jesus in this defiant act of desperation. And so this leper, he's risking whatever he has left. He doesn't have a lot left. But whatever he has left, he's putting it on the line. He's risking it. And he breaks the law. He breaks the standard, breaks the tradition in order to get to Jesus. Now, it's not a moral law that he breaks, but a ceremonial law. And that's a key distinction. No one can use a passage like this to justify doing something immoral. Sometimes people will want to do that. They see Jesus transforming things or changing things, and they say, well, that, well, if Jesus changes that, then I can do all kinds of things. No, no, no. There are still boundaries. There are still, still clarification on things. And actually, it can be easy as Christians to get confused about the standards in the Bible, especially Old Testament compared to New Testament, because many of the laws in the Old Testament, they've not continued. We don't do them today. And they, they revolve mostly around ritual and ceremony, especially concerning the temple in, in Jerusalem. But also ancient Israel had, they had laws, state laws that governed even just personal interactions or business dealings. They had laws around all those things. And they had laws around sacrifices, the sacrificial system, all those things. And Jesus came to do those things and to complete God's work through all of what had been building up through the Old Testament. Jesus came to validate those things. But since Jesus himself predicted that the temple would pass away and that it would be destroyed... And since ancient Israel does not exist anymore, those civil regulations, those clean and unclean standards, those things have fallen away. They've passed away. God had meant them, though. They weren't insignificant. God had meant them for a time, but now the time has passed. But the moral law, namely Ten Commandments, some debate about the, the Sabbath in there, but there's some debate around that. Those laws, though, have not passed away. In fact, Jesus makes the moral law even deeper. So a lot of people think, oh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. That means he did away with the law. Well, no, what did Jesus say, right? Jesus said, uh, he doesn't just say murder is wrong. He says hatred is wrong. So Jesus actually ups the stakes. He says, the thing that leads you to murder, which is hatred, well, that's just like being a murderer. If you hate somebody, what's the difference between hating them and murdering them. Jesus connects. I mean, that's, wow. That's actually heightening the standard of the moral law. Jesus doesn't just say adultery is wrong. He says lust is wrong. It's the thing that leads to adultery. The secret thing, the hidden thing. Well, it's just the same. You've committed adultery in your own heart. And the big point I'm getting to here is that, yes, there are timeless, universal moral standards that should never be crossed. They are non negotiable. And God has, God has erased the ambiguity around them by repeating from what was in the Old Testament, repeating in the New Testament, all the universal moral standards that were from the start. And so it's clear what sin is and what it's not. It's clear what is clean and unclean in that regard, what is good and bad. And so to know God and to desire God is to be clean like God. However, there is also additional ceremonial traditions and standards that we live under, even today. Are there not? They can be cultural. There are cultural things that we can have. There are Christian things we can have, or things from even other religions that can be somehow regulations that bind us 
at certain times, and we can choose at times to be bound by some of those things, civil standards that we have, perhaps. We're surrounded by all kinds of laws and regulations and traditions, but all the, and all those boundaries that we establish, whether it's in church life or in you know, society at large, they're set up generally to regulate what is right and what is wrong. This is the better way to do it. This is the bad way to do it. This is clean. This is unclean. That kind of idea. Now, because those things are not the transcendent moral standards revealed in Scripture, depending on the circumstance, depending on the need, depending on how desperate something is, there might be moments where those standards can be transgressed. In moments where there is genuine faith, like with this leper, this leper has genuine faith. In moments like that, where there's a genuine desire, because if you notice in the leper, what does he say? He doesn't question if Jesus is able to heal him. He questions if Jesus would be willing to do it. What that reveals to us is he had faith. He believed that God could do it. He believed anything is possible with God. God can do it. It was just a question of, would it be God's will? Would God want to do this in this moment? So genuine faith. In moments like that, there might be exceptions. And the breaking of a standard does sometimes happen in a moment like this. Now, sometimes breaking a standard needs real discernment and consideration. There are some standards that should never be broken. But there, like this, there are regulations and traditions that can be transgressed. For example, let me give you an example here. Some people sometimes struggle with the idea that churches, and we do this, that churches offering communion, that we might use grape juice rather than wine. And we have certain reasons for that. And some people struggle with that because they say, well, Jesus said, didn't Jesus say, he said it should be wine. You should use the wine. And in that situation, people are following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Not, not, not the purpose by which God has established it. And the point is that we should not let tradition stop us from getting closer to God. That's the big point. Tradition should not stop us from getting closer to God. Now, of course, all the Christian hippies in the room are very happy about this right now. And all the rule followers in the room are not happy with this right now. We should not let rules that are set up for certain reasons get in the way of special circumstances. I would say this. People who love Jesus are so excited and thrilled by this leper approaching Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're like, way to go, leper. You're like rooting for the leper. But if you love religion, then you're upset with this leper. You're annoyed at this leper. Shouldn't do it. And this, the, the leper is a test on our own hearts. Do I love Jesus or do I love religion or tradition? or What is it that I love? See, Jesus has, it says in our translation that I read from, it says pity, but other translations will translate compassion. Jesus has, has pity, has compassion on him, and so he reaches out and he touches this leper. And instead of making Jesus unclean, because that's how it worked in ancient Israel. If you touch somebody that was unclean, you are unclean. But instead of making Jesus unclean, Jesus makes the leper clean. It actually uh, it does the opposite, right? And it's interesting, it, the, the passage here doesn't say even that he's been healed, although he has been healed. Instead, it says you've been, he's been made clean. 
He's been made clean. So there's something beyond healing happening here. That, that that's actually gives us an insight into what Jesus is doing when he heals people. It's not just about physically being made, made whole. There's a whole spiritual dimension to this as well. This is about purification. Ancient Israel could never follow all the laws properly. They couldn't do it. They could never be right with God by themselves. It always would take divine intervention to receive the purification of God. It would always take the hand of God imparting it for it to actually happen. And the laws, the regulations that were given were a shadow. They were a shadow. They were something that was a little bit unclear, still good, but unclear. They're pointing to the substance, and the substance is Christ. He's the one who makes clean with a simple touch. And this situation is even more scandalous than just the leper breaking, uh, breaking stuff. The lepers, he starts off, he's the one that starts breaking things. Jesus breaks the Old Testament expectations as well. And he does so because of his compassion. And this moment here is really the beginning of the end of many of the Old Testament customs. This act says more than a series of lectures on the subject. Because Jesus has contagious holiness. You start getting close to Jesus, you just can't help getting more holy. So it's always a bad sign if, you're just, if we're justifying sin in our lives, if we're justifying things, we know, oh, if I'm, if I'm doing that, I'm drifting away from Jesus. Because Jesus has contagious holiness. He makes us clean through proximity to him. I mean, you see that time and again in Scripture that when people meet with God, they have a vision of God. They have a dream of God. They have something. They, people are immediately convicted of how unclean they are, how, how toxic their words are and their attitudes are. I'm not sure if Jesus sent this guy back to the priests uh, just as you know, a way to honor the Mosaic law. That's probably part of it. Jesus, Jesus sends him back and says, hey, go to the priest. See that they'll check you out. I'm sure that's part of it. Hey, let's still honor. The system hasn't completely ended yet. Let's still honor it. That could be part of it. But I do know this, that without the man being sent back to the priests and being given a clean bill of health, he would not have been fully redeemed and fully accepted back into the community. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, wants this man to be fully whole, fully restored, fully brought back in. And so he knows, go back to the priest but also, this will be a powerful sign for them that God is working in Israel. God is showing up. God is healing. Now, what happened with our other leper friend, Damien? Despite the terrifying diagnosis, Damien did not abandon his mission. Rather, it became more personal than ever. He now stood in the shoes of those who had come to serve. He had come to serve sharing not only their isolation, but their physical suffering. With a renewed determination, he continued his relentless work, embracing his shared fate with his parishioners as a profound connection. As word of Damien's condition spread, something unexpected happened. His story began to resonate with people around the world. Donations poured in, allowing him to expand his work dramatically. He built a church, improved shelters, established schools, and even constructed a water system. Damien's tireless efforts not only improved the physical, physical conditions of the settlement, but uplifted the spirits of 
the residents, restoring their dignity. With this newfound support, the once desolate and hopeless leper colony began to transform into a community. The inhabitants, once left to die alone and uncared for, now had a place they could call home. Despite the painful physical afflictions that they bore, they now carried a new hope in their hearts. And in the face of death, Damien found a life of purpose. His self-sacrifice and his devotion and his love touched the hearts of people across the globe, shifting societal perceptions of leprosy and those affected by it. He brought light into the darkness, hope into despair, and dignity into destitution. Even in his death, his legacy continued. His life's work set a precedent for how the world treats the sick and the marginalized. He became a symbol of selfless love and compassion, embodying the Christian principle of caring for the least among us. He demonstrated in a remarkable way what it means to break traditions and societal norms for a higher cause. In the story of Damien, we see an exchange, a sacrifice. He gave up his health and his life to redeem those who have been most forgotten. And that's what Jesus does, but times infinity. The man who Jesus healed was, of course, very joyful, and his joy could not be contained, could it? Jesus, I mean, actually, in, in, uh, in the original Greek, when Jesus strictly commanded the guy, it's the same emphasis that Jesus used when he cast demons out of people. Jesus was very clear he did not want this man to tell people about this. But the guy couldn't stop himself. So he does, he does not follow Jesus' command, and he tells people. And the fruit of that was bad. Because Jesus is now mobbed, and his ability to minister and to grow his ministry in these towns was actually hindered. So the, the man's, the leper's earnest faith began with this earnest, strong faith, this desperate hope in Jesus. You know, we all are like, yeah, we're rooting for the leper. Yeah, you crossed the boundary, but you know what? God blessed it. Amazing. That earnestness and that faith turned pretty quickly into complacency and disregard. And this shows us something, doesn't it? That we can be redeemed and made clean and even see impossible miracles. But we still have a heck of a lot of work to be done, fully surrendering and learning to actually follow the commands of Jesus. Jesus released this leper from his burden, but the man's actions ended up bringing a burden back on Jesus. The man was accepted and restored and redeemed and helped and instead, in place, Jesus had to withdraw, had to flee, and was hindered. And this is a picture of the gospel. This is the picture of the gospel to us, of what Jesus does. Our screw-ups, our mistakes, our limitations, they hold us back from God. We're not able to deal with it. The divine hand of God comes in and touches us and makes us clean. But that leprosy, our spiritual leprosy, goes to Jesus. He becomes 
our sacrifice, he becomes the one mistreated, the one hindered, the one harmed in our place. The correct response to this is absolute humility and gratitude and worship. To praise the God of the universe that he did that for us. Did we earn it? Never. Have you been good enough to earn the sacrifice of Jesus? Do you think Jesus looked ahead in time and said, you know, that one, that one sitting in Trinity Church in July 2023, that one, wow, they'd be good enough. They'd make it. Never. It's never, there's never going to be a human being other than Jesus who could do this. It is divine love. It is divine grace. We're so wretched. We're so broken. We're so wrong. And you might say, well, I'm not as bad as some people. But you've got to understand, given the right circumstances, we could do the worst evil, any one of us. And God in his grace knows that. He takes on our leprosy. He takes on and he makes us clean. Let's respond to him.